So we are again continuing our series. Uh, what uh, questions kids ask with love to ask aloud. And our hope is that our responses to little ones and big ones, kids of all ages, is that it would invite more dialogue. And, and a series like this actually, when we ask these tough questions, we're not asking them all, but when we ask questions like this, it allows us to have a more confident understanding of our faith. Um, it allows us to share with the world that needs God's truth, God's beauty, and, and also God's mystery. We're not going to have a clean answer to every one of these questions. And obviously, every question we have is an opportunity to practice sharing, responding to the gospel. Peter, uh, Jesus' best friend, arguably, he says it this way in 1 Peter 3.15, uh, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Doing so in what, church? Gentleness and respect. And where have we been? Well, we've talked about the Trinity. And uh, we've, we've talked about who is God, what does the Trinity mean? And we said that our God is a, a family. Our one God is a family. A perfect love and one invited in mystery to that, but that's where we left off, and some questions come as a result of these questions. Each question is late with sub-questions. So why did God come as a father when I already have a dad? Well, God the Father gives good gifts, including parents or guardians, to care for us and guide us back to God. And then why did God create the world? Well, God's love is expansive. Love expands, love creates, love serves, love gives, love shares. God created creation to share the love that God shared with them the Trinity. Then I asked a, a follow-up question, which the slide had a mistake and I named it, and I believe everybody knew what I was saying when I said this, but I said, why did God create a broken world? That, that question is a, it's a wrong way to preface that question. God did not create a broken world. God created humanity, humanity chose to sin, sin resulted in brokenness. I think what I was trying to say is, why did God create a world, or one that he knew would be, God knew would be affected by sin? And I said, that's the more mature question. So maybe I'll just say it as it is. Why did God create the world? God foreknew would be affected by sin. That's what we talked about. Well, God created anticipating sin and brokenness because he really, really loves you and wants to save you. I think what I want to say by that is like if God created a, a perfect creation or a parallel universe that was perfect, the problem with that is that we wouldn't be in it. And that's a no deal for God. Just a no deal. It's hard to swallow, but that's the biblical Christian worldview. Then Lindsay came in last week. Lindsay's a leader in my life. Uh, she spoke about God's voice and how can we hear it? She said that God's voice sounds like Jesus. It's a voice of perfect love. She walked through that God's voice is one of conviction, not condemnation, not hurry, but patient, of love and not shame. And we had this amazing Me God problem where we took time just to listen to God in silence. And my hope is that we would continue to do that. Actually, that that would be the way that we live. Our vision of church is to love God and others in Christ, but the way that we do that, the mission is to develop disciples who hear and respond to God. So a preview, where are we going next? Today is why do some people die before they're old? It's a common question among kids. And it talks about, there's a lot of questions, miracles, Next week, we're talking about the reality of heaven. What is that like? Following is why aren't any of the disciples girls? Again, that's a very pointed question, and I would say a false question, but we'll talk about that more. I'll leave that for that day. Uh, why do I sin? Does God still love me when? In fact, my daughter asked me 
this week. Why did God make me to sin? Why am I broken? Which is really sad. Why do we go to church? That's one that the world is asking, and a lot of people in church are asking in this season. Why are we going? Uh, but we'll start with today's topic, Karen from uh, Sweet Zoe. Why do so many people die before the Lord? And as I alluded to late with those questions, there's so many more questions about pain and suffering, about miracles, and why some people seem to like live and others do not. And we have like 20 or 30 minutes to talk about this. But again, I just want to repeat, like our response is that we felt the little kids and the big ones, they don't need to be complete. They just need to be open and honest, and, and hopefully invite more dialogue. So um, we had to find this conversation. We the church like we could get our questions that we ask of each other. When it comes to loss, especially loss of life, what are some actually inappropriate responses that you have heard or received during personal grief or loss or death? What are some personal, I'm sorry, what are some inappropriate responses that you've heard or received during personal grief or loss. I'm actually just going to let us think about that for a second. I don't want to do a paragraph for that one. Larry Warner, my spiritual director for 13 years, maybe more, a little long. Um, he's an author. He, he uh, does spiritual direction. He does some professor work at some local places. He loves hot dogs. And uh, he's that guy back there with blue shirts. Uh, he wrote a, uh, the other blue shirt. Hey, Larry. Looking good, now the other one. He's written quite a, a lot of books. Uh, not a lot, but a good amount. He has one that I'm going to talk about next week a little bit. But here's one of the found works that I love. It's, uh, it's one called Journey of Grief. And it uh, reflects Larry's journey. Uh, Larry lost his son in 2003. Uh, tragically. They're all tragic. And uh, it involves his process. It's somewhat of his 18-year uh, journey. I think it was 15 years by the time he wrote this. 15-year journey of how you walk with others and how you process well. In the midst of that process. And maybe not how you process well, but how you do it. Kind of really it. And uh, in the midst of it is just a ton of uh, poetry. And, I, and there's a poem I want to share with you that, that is really helpful for this conversation. And it's called Jackasses. It's one of the many. Uh, but I think it's helpful for us. Jackasses. Surrounded by jackasses who continually bray. He is in heaven. It's time to move on. Where's your faith? This is God's plan. Get over it. Don't you trust God? God, deliver me from these beasts of burdens. Their words crush me. Their words arise from an ignorance of you, an ignorance of me. Oh God, in your grace and mercy, smack them over the head with a two-by-four. <laughs> that's, 
that's laughter, that's, um, we know it's inherently true. Uh, we can say some really difficult things. So how do you respond? How do you respond to Zoe's question? Why do some people die young? The thesis for today is this. I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't seem fair. Seems dumb. Just hang right his hand. And I even think that word I don't know invites more dialogue. And I actually thought about just stopping the service from here. And that probably would be like the most difficult thing to do. Maybe the most courageous. Maybe not. I, I felt like freedom to move on and continue the conversation. But that that's that's a fair answer. I don't know. There's more. The Bible has a lot to say about this. Creatively. Truthfully. But I just don't want to bypass that. The truth that we are free to say, I don't know. I don't know why it's that way. I have no idea. And I think sometimes less words are more. Like when we, when someone comes to us and they share something that's happened, it's tragic, or even smaller grief, maybe we don't need to say anything. One thing we can't say that's helpful is I'm sorry. We don't need to talk about anything else. One thing I say, which is true, I'm at a loss of words. I'm really sorry. A thing that you can also say that's fair is I cannot imagine what you were going through. Or you and your friends or you and your family are going through. Because the truth is, we can't. Even if we've experienced tragedy, each one is so unique. Distinct. Each relationship has different dynamics. So there are no words. But your presence still matters. We could do a message series on grief, how God grieves with us, and in many ways, though it's not linear, we experience in a part death, burial, and resurrection. Grieving while that is like without restraint. And judgment from within or from others provides a lot of opportunities to experience God. To experience yourself and others in new and profound and even bewildering ways. It's definitely a time where you know we are not alone, even though you do feel alone. It is a time, yes, where we can understand God's even in those circumstances, but also God is with us, even in the midst of our circumstances. Even when we look at God with sheer disdain. That's okay too. It's, it's an invitation to go through a long and unformulated process to know hope of the better day. And then Larry writes this even at the worst of it, the odds are that you and I will make it through and even grow and death, especially death of young ones. Out of books on it, this one's pretty good. I do think it's worth noting. Scripture testing is that when we grieve and we allow our grieving to take us down, take us to God, God does change us. God does form us. Whether it's righteous suffering or suffering as a result of someone's sin against us or a collective amount of sin against us, or whether it's moral failure or our own mourning of our own sins, if it takes us to God, God can use it to grow us. And you see that scripture, Romans 
5 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out to our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. James, Jesus' brother, says this way, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the test in your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And though you may want to amend that, you don't want to. Because sometimes we instinctively go, does God purpose my pain? Is this happening because I can grow? Is that how you work, God? Again, questions within questions, right? That's the question here. Does somehow God make this happen? And when it comes to death, I'll say this as a pastor, and I believe it. God is the author of life. I don't believe you replace death. There's mystery in there. You could probably counteract me with some scripture stuff. Bring up Pharaoh or something. Here's what I will say about suffering. In life, every moment we have is an opportunity to grow. I don't believe that God purposes all pain, but I do believe there's purpose in pain. He doesn't purpose it, but there's purpose in it. Every moment in life is an opportunity to grow. Whether you, you're choosing where you're going to sit in church, whether how you respond to somebody walking the street who has a different look than you, a different color of your skin, different wrinkles. Every moment, getting up in the middle of the night. So many times after the age of 40, to use the bathroom. That's an opportunity to grow. Every moment is an opportunity to grow. Many moments are opportunities to grieve. And allow our grief to take us to God. In the midst of being with God, receiving God's love, an opportunity to grow. That's what I believe. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the broken and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When I say it's an opportunity to grow, does that mean we're going to be completely healed? after the event of a loss of someone young in life. Not completely ill. Likely you'll be forever. You and I will be forever wounded. At the same time, we can be changed in it. But there'll be some wild new normals that come as a result of acceptance, waiting, grief, sadness, loss, acceptance, waiting, some new life that can't happen, can will happen. New hope. Mysterious new normals come about through the long process of grief that I can't calculate for you and I. But it does take us back to the question, knowing that, yeah, you'll still be forever living. You will be. Even if there's, we can find purpose in it, God can grow us. So the question is, why do some people die young? Here's an expanded answer. I don't know. However, I'm choosing to trust God. I don't know. I'm choosing to trust God who loves me and loves me. He loves me and loves Sean. He loves me and loves Priscilla. He loves me and loves Sean. I, I don't know. However, I'm choosing to trust God who is going to right all wrongs one day. I don't know. But I'm going to choose to trust God who's okay with my anger and my sadness, even if it's that God. And then there's like the catch-all. I don't know. However, I'm trusting God because whatever you need to do, there's no one more. 
whatever you need to say. I think what's interesting, and this is not going to be a comprehensive conversation, but I, I think it's worth doing, is how do we begin to get the hell out? How, how do we begin to get the hell out? How do we begin to get to the however I'm just going to trust God? I don't know, but however I'm choosing to trust God. And, and as I say that, we're about half time in the message. I will say that. And one of the things is if you're in the process of grief, sometimes, as I noted earlier, more words aren't helpful. And maybe you've like heard enough and you just need to take a break and go for a walk outside. I don't want to disrupt the process. I don't want to say you've heard enough, but like you're just sensing like, no, I don't I don't want to sit in this conversation. And that's okay. I'm not going to have you stand up. We're going to have a question. I want to have a big picture. If you, if you want to leave, or if you want somebody to pray with you, Jessica is here. She'd love to pray with you. She's one of our prayer. People who want to talk to me real quick, I'm here. We're just going to give yourself like a little halftime break. And if you're like, you know what, I just don't have it in there. I need to go get a donut for the scope of walk. You can. There's total freedom. That's a way of being a church too. So um, here's a question that I think is really important as we talk about this. Who is someone you feel? Who's someone you, I don't write this right, did I? Who's someone you feel free to process deep and unsubtle grief with? Who's someone you feel like you could be vulnerable without pretense that you can share your pain with? Why don't you just take a moment and uh, just share that with somebody? All you gotta do is like say, hey, my name is Tammy, and somebody I feel free to, is Troy, or someone I feel free to share my pain with is Courtney. And that person's really cool that way. You can just share that. But let's create that moment um, right now just to share that with somebody. Because I, I would love for you to say that out loud with someone else. Don't turn off. Again, if you're online, you can feel free to process with the journal. 
So as we uh, jump into the reading of our word today, I've said this, but uh, there's a lot of scriptures that you could do in terms of this conversation. You could do Lamentations, you could do so many of the Psalms, Psalms of Disorientation, Psalms of Lament, Personal Complaint Psalms, Psalms 13, 35, 86, so many more. You could look at the book of Job that our kids are reading. One thing I was drawn to is the apparent antagonist in Job, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they actually do something very good in the beginning of Job's grief. It says they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him, thinking they saw how great his suffering was. They give those guys a hard time, but they they actually did a pretty decent job starting out when it comes to grief. You can look at Ecclesiastes, point of time for everything, a time to weep. Uh, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Ecclesiastes 7 is awesome. It's better to go to a house of mourning than rather than like a house of party or a house of glory. Because it is the end of every person and the living takes it to heart. Romans 8 has a lot there. In fact, the whole chapter of Romans 8. And we know that in all things, God works for good for those uh, who love him, who have been called toward him according to his good purpose. Definitely look at the preceding verses. That verse is actually been used. A little too much at times, a little too early in people's reading process, but there's some beauty and truth in it. Uh, Beatitudes, we spent a time that this week there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Even Jesus' words on the cross, outstanding. Great evening. I was drawn to, at the end of it all, I was drawn to John 11. Uh, Jesus' encounter. Jesus, we believe, is God, fully God and fully human. And he's encountering the death of someone that he and his humanity knew personally and loved deeply. It says in John 11, verse 5, we're talking about Lazarus. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, who's married in Lazarus. And um, yeah, there's a tension with it because Lazarus is raised from the dead. There is that. Um, but what's beautiful about it is. It's somewhat of a, a prelude to that. It's the raw and honest conversations he has with his friends and their response to him and his own grief. So I, I feel pretty good about sharing this passage. I think it's still very helpful. So the question again, why does some die young? I don't know. However, I'm choosing to trust God. How do we get to that hour? So I'm just going to start reading some. John chapter 11, I'm going to jump around. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Again, Jesus received word that Lazarus died. He eventually left to go be with him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now as we ask this question, how do we get to this idea of trusting God? The first point today is by being gut level honest with God. In the pain, being gut level honest with God in the pain, even as we cognitively understand that our worldview is not absent of pain. We, get, we come to trust in God by being honest with 
got love or honest with God, even if they understand the silver and the alleys of pain. It's kind of a mouthful, but the, the goal is to be brutally honest with God. Not had answers, not intellectual assumptions. Sure, it's great to have a sober understanding, and in many ways it's helpful to have a philosophical understanding of the brokenness reality. And we'll get there somewhat. But we need to be honest to God. The Lord can take our explicit lyrics. The psalmist says, How long, O Lord, have you forgotten me forever? Jesus says on the cross, like, my God, why have you forsaken me? Martha says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. If you would have been here, he wasn't there until four days in. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. In fact, her sister Mary said the same thing. as they were talking about it. Probably for a while. When Mary reached, let's jump down to verse 32. We'll connect those dots in a bit. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's okay to yell at God and to scream at God and ask why, even if we know we are not guaranteed we're free from the finality of death. You think God can't take it? It's after that, Martha, again, going back to that conversation, she's got level of honest with, with, with God, with Jesus. And then they have a conversation, somewhat cognitive conversation, about death and resurrection. She says, I know we will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And sometimes it is good to anchor ourselves in truths like that. And I want to give this permission. It is good to have a rightful understanding of our worldview. There are intellectual responses to death. And they can be, and they are helpful. Why do people die or get sick? Well, it wasn't designed this way, but it's the power of the uncreated, destruction, destructive nature of sin that has created death. That's, that's what our worldview believes. It wasn't God. It was sin. Well, what does God do about that? God dies. God dies to defeat death. That's what we know. That's our worldview. God died in order that we wouldn't experience lasting death. But there's something comforting about knowing our God is a crucified Messiah. One who was known as the man of sorrows, who was tortured and ridiculed. Knowing that that's somebody we can talk to about these sins. And then, if you get deep into it, with the Judeo-Christian worldview, it goes a lot into this idea that we're free moral agents. And because of that, that's how death came in. And the truth is, there's a lot of good writing on this. Like, God did allow, uh, God did do the possibility of love worthy enough to allow the possibility of evil. That's pretty good philosophical understanding of why the world is like it is. That said, all those intellectual responses need to be coupled with the freedom to bet. And I believe that's likely more important. A psalmist um, writes this after um, Jerusalem is sieged by Babylon. And uh, their people are brutally uh, taken in captivity, many are killed, uh, babies are thrown around. And so the psalmist writes this Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. It's brutal, it's honest, and it's a bit inspiring. That's 
the freedom we have to dance to God. I, yeah. It's not until we can yell in the belly of the lake that we can be free to move on. Because we did not move away, but we've been the process of freedom. You know, my kids, um, we, we were talking about God's uh, infinitude this week, how God is like all, everything, all omni, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere. There's like the three omni, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. And I think what's helpful when I was talking about that is like, we are not all-knowing, we are finite. God is infinite, we are finite. But because God is infinite, we can still ask God why. And we may not get the answer, but knowing God is all, everything, it also means that he's all loving. And it also means this, that he's all sad. He's all sad. He's infinitely loving, infinitely joyful, infinitely compassionate, and infinitely sad. That is our God. So how do we get to get the however brutal God honesty? And then this matters too, is that we experience Jesus as God's grief alongside us. That's how we get that place, is we, we experience God's sadness with us, God's suffering with us. Not just sympathy, it's not sympathy. It's, it's the pain and the torment that God himself, God's experiences. Mary said again, Lord, if you've been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid it us? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not open, could he, not he who opened the eyes of blind man? have kept this man from dying. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone made across the entrance. So how does God feel about death? Another question that a lot of kids ask. How does God feel about pain? He weeps. He feels it in his gut. In his being. He's angered. Yeah, he has set the perpetrator of death that sin, the enemy, but beneath that is deep, sad. Sad. John 11.35 may be the first scripture verse you and I should memorize. It's the shortest one. Maybe one of the most potent. Jesus wept. Get one down. We're going to get one to memorize, get that one down. And when we know that, we actually are free uh, in its own mysterious way to see God weeping. We're free to... There's something about... Trust in God, and he's weeping at it too. And if not only do we get to trust God a bit more, but we, we get to trust our own freedom to come undone. To grieve as you can, uh, not as you cannot, that's what he writes. And it's different for everyone. And it's, it's, it's weird, it's unique. Don't put a timetable on it. And then the narrative transitions again to the resurrection of Lazarus. And that does beg the question for a lot of people, where was my resurrection? 
Why did I get that? And I, I, I don't know. It's not what I don't know. There's a lot that could be written on miracles. I don't really feel like reading it. It feels insensitive now that I've seen it and remember the moment, you know. I think what's helpful if I just step away from my notes when it comes to miracles. Miracles is like a term that's a bit newer. When you look at what Jesus does in Scripture, they're called signs and symbols and marvels. Miracle kind of assumes that God is somehow not active, and then somehow God comes in the midst of creation and does something against the laws that he created, because God can't, and then it's back out. But our worldview doesn't believe that. God, we believe God is in the midst of us at all times. And to your right, our work says he doesn't sort out the mess by pressing a button on a lever upstairs. He comes down with us in the midst of the sorrow and the shame and the sickness and death and takes the worst upon himself. And the signs and wonders of scripture, they, they pointed to a greater reality of the kingdom. And so I think when kids ask us that, like, how can that miracle come? This is my take. And it might be wrong. I'm just going to name that. But miracles that we see in Jesus' life, and signify his ongoing change in our lives. That's a lot what they signify, and the final hope is sharing. So what does that mean? Should we not expect miracles? Actually, I, I want to, yeah, it's, no, actually, no. Take that quick answer and put it away. We should expect it. We should pray. But we also should expect trouble in this world, and pain in this world. We should also expect to carry our cross. We should expect that there are days where we'll be rejoicing with those rejoicing with those who are mourned. And somehow in our being, all those can be held together. Because we're expecting the greater hope, I guess. I mean, pain, pain is why we need hope, and Jesus is the reason why we have hope. And that we, we do know, amidst this whole conversation, that I hope hasn't offended God or you, that there at least is a greater day ahead. And that we can be anchored in now and have expectations for many things because of that. There is a day, it says in Revelation 21 4, that He, God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Uh, for the order, order of things has passed away. So, yeah, how do we get to, however, brutal honesty, experiencing God's grief? And then, um, this last point is simply that we would learn to suffer daily with Jesus and others. That we would make a practice of learning to suffer and being open to suffering, and maybe even choose to suffer when we see the world around us. When we experience our own pain. It says uh, back in verse 24, Martha answered, I know you'll rise again to the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of one. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back home and called her sister Mary's side. The teacher is here. We'll talk about how, how amazing that is in about two weeks. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. 
when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but she but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn them. But she wasn't going to the tomb. She was going to Jesus. Nothing wrong going to the tomb, but she knew that she needed to take her grief and let it take her to God. To find hope in the midst of this unanswerable tragedy. And as I, I share that, when I when I grew up, I'm I'm over the age forty. When I grew up, a lot of the gospel that I heard as a kid was was what I called the dying gospel, where uh, you were <coughs> truthfully told that yeah, one day you are going to perish, one day we're all going to die, and we will be face to face with our Creator, who is Jesus, and. Uh, We'll have to give an account for what we've done. And have we confessed our sin? Have we confessed our need for God? Or did we not? Did we go our own way and only further perpetrate the sin of this world? Something along that lines. It was, I heard it all the time as a kid. I, was, I, I grew up Catholic and I grew up Protestant. I had this Protestant family, they were Pentecostal, they were Mennonite, they were Baptist, and they took me to all these revivals. And I remember going to the altar all the time. Because it literally scared the hell out of me, if you know what I mean. And hopefully placed the heaven in me. And it's true, those who believe in Jesus will never die. Oh, I'm sorry, those who believe in Jesus will live, even though they die. And whoever lives in me, whoever lives by believing me, will never die. It is a true gospel. It's actually one that we probably stepped away from a bit as a church, that we need God, we're mortals. We are going to die. But we, we want to put our faith in Jesus and entrust others to Jesus with their lives. I think we've pendulated from that probably um, because there's a heavy focus on the afterlife and not life today, which is why justice does matter, which is why what we do does matter. I think we want to kind of bring them together and have a more comprehensive gospel. And, and the beauty of that is by confessing our sins, um, Kind of, that teaches us in itself how, us how to grieve. In confessing our need, it teaches us to know God. Now, again, I'm not saying our sin is by someone died. I'm just saying it's a way to tangibly practice mourning. But even more than that, as we get into the more daily activity of the gospel, it's a way to know that we're called to serve those who are hurting, and serve those who are suffering, and to mourn with those who are mourning, and to, to walk with the marginalized and the oppressed. To know, as we respond to the gospel, that life is a gift from God. And each moment we have is a gift. And to take hold of that for as long as we can. So the way we're going to end today is by uh, taking communion. And to uh, commemorate the suffering of Jesus for our sake. The suffering of our Lord, who suffers with us even as we suffer. Uh, it's an act he gave uh, on the night that he was betrayed. Uh, it, said, it says in scripture that um, when he was sitting with his disciples, that night um, he took the bread 
He gave hands, he broke it, and he gave it out to each one of his disciples. And he says, take this and eat in remembrance of me. And that this bread represents the brokenness of God on our behalf of the cross. The same way, Christ took the cup. He says this cup represents the blood of the new covenant shed for us. So we take and drink. The next steps to this conversation, I had a bunch and I rewrote them. It's just a grieving with Jesus and others. Be open to grieving loss in your life. Be open to grieving others' loss. And invite Jesus to that process. There's other things we can talk about, but um, that feels right. So I'm going to pray for us and invite the band back up. Lord, we don't know why some people die. And Lord, we are choosing to trust you. That's, at this point, all we can say. We pray this in Jesus' name.